Hello and welcome to the AWS Podcast. Simon Alicia here with a special episode in a special series for you. This series is called Startup Stories and is a weekly series of podcasts related to the startup world hosted by Darren Morey. In your AWS podcast feed, you'll still get the regular AWS podcast, but now also sometimes special series during the week that will be indicated as such with a tag in the title. That way you can choose which ones to listen to and which ones may not be in your area of interest. Anyway, I hope you enjoy this special series and keep on building. Welcome to the AWS Startup Stories, a weekly podcast about getting a business off the ground, keeping it there and growing it further. In each episode, we'll be talking to one or several rising stars of the startup world and hear about their stories and ideas, the obstacles they've had to overcome, and the things they wish they'd known before they got started on building their digital businesses. My name is Darren Morey, and I'm the Director of Startup Business Development at Amazon Web Services. Today, we talk about venture capital, what VCs look for in a startup, and also what the startup should be looking for in their investors. I have two absolutely phenomenal guests with me here today to talk about the VC process from both sides. Joining me are Robin Klein, the founding partner of Local Globe, a seed-focused venture capital fund based in London, and Hal Watts, CEO of Unmade, who secured VC funding from Robin for their idea that's totally revolutionizing the clothing industry. But before we get going to talk about the VC process, let's hear a little bit more about your backgrounds. And Robin, I'd like to start with you. You've had a super impressive career making over 150 investments from what I understand. And I'd love to hear a little bit more about your experience as well as why did you create Local Globe and specifically why are you focusing on early stage startups? Okay, so I started as an entrepreneur. I built a, a few businesses and after I sold the last of those, I uh, started angel investing. Uh, initially sort of dabbling and, and investing here and there but uh, soon realized that this was a serious, a serious business and started to create a thesis around how to and where I should, uh, I should invest. So Local Globe has been investing for almost 20 years. So 150 sounds like a lot, but over that period, it's not, it's not that much. So I think that we, um, we launched um, Local Globe as a multi-investor uh, fund about only two years ago. Why did we choose to invest at the seed stage? I think we, we all enjoy the early stage, I mean, partly because we are entrepreneurs, we've run companies, we know what it's like in that early stage, how tough it can be. And I think uh, the empathy that we have with, uh, with founders is a, is a strong reason for what success uh, we've had. Excellent. So, Hal, can you tell us a little bit more about Unmade? What is it that Unmade does exactly? So, um, Un Unmade is is fundamentally a technology company and a software company. And what we do is we provide brands with the technology that they need to be able to produce one-off products for their customers. So, the, the industry, the way it works at the moment, is you would manufacture 20,000 of a product maybe six to nine months ahead of time. And you, you're effectively guessing um, you're guessing what people are going to want and you're hoping you're getting that right, but you'll never get it perfect. So you end up with a lot, a lot of waste. So 10% of all clothes never actually get, get worn, they go to landfill. And so what we've tried to do is build the technology necessary to reverse that supply chain so you can manufacture products after people buy them. So people go online, buy a product, and we manufacture it only once it's been purchased. So that eliminates all of this waste and it means that you know companies are actually selling stuff prior to manufacturing it, which is a very good business case for them. Um, and it means that it, it's, it's better for the customer because they're actually getting what they want, not what is available. 
Um, and so we we really build all the technology to manage how that can occur on a website, how people can customize and create their products, all the way through to how then it gets manufactured in the factory and shipped to the customer. That's really interesting. And so obviously you had the responsibility on the back of that idea of taking an unusual, a brand new idea that really no one had, uh, had taken to market yet and advance that. And so can mm. you tell us a little bit about any of the fears you, that you may have had, maybe specific to securing funding and convincing people to believe in this product? Yeah, I think we didn't really have too too much fear around the unknown. I mean, of the three co-founders, two of us had come from a research background, so you know you're always trying to do stuff that didn't work anyway. Um, and so we initially set aside three months to do a feasibility study just to understand if we even thought this was possible as a concept. And after three months, we decided it was definitely possible. It would just require a lot of, of time and effort to get it to work. So I think we weren't so... We didn't really have too many concerns around the technical feasibility of it. I suppose the bit that we spent a long time exploring was the the, the business model around that. We, we knew we had a technology that was compelling and we could do stuff that other people couldn't do, but we didn't really have a plan yet on how we would form a successful company for, around it. That's interesting. And so what were the steps that you took, understanding that the business plan was really where the focus was? Any any experience that you could maybe share with our listeners who are in a similar position of knowing the product and the tech, but maybe not knowing what steps to take on the business plan? Test loads of stuff. I think you have to commit to one direction and try it and discover if it works or not. I think there's a risk that you can try and do a bit of everything, which is probably what we did right at the, at the very, very early stage. We tried kind of a little bit of everything at once. And that definitely won't work because you'll never find out if any of the avenues truly can be successful. So I would say put put more, not maybe not all of your eggs, but most of your eggs in one basket and try that for for a period of time to discover if it can be successful. But then you've got to be able to quickly decide if it is or not and change uh, change course if it isn't. Excellent. That's great. And great feedback. And Robin, so here you come and, and you meet Hal and you start to learn a little bit more about the, the whole concept that he's talking about. And I'm curious, what struck you about Unmade and gave you conviction to invest in that in their early evolution? As I recall, we had one meeting and I, I think we made the decision uh, there and then. I think, I, you know, I had worked in the fashion industry. The last business I, I built, I sold to the Arcadia Group, which is a a group with thousands of, of, of stores and uh, I was well aware of some of the challenges that the fashion industry had and for me if if this uh, idea could be executed well uh, had the potential to fundamentally change a very very large industry and as a venture capitalist that's that's what uh, we look for but uh, more than that I mean as a seed investor we do focus very much on the individual who is the individual and Hal struck me as somebody with uh, with real integrity and by that I don't just mean sort of honesty which of course I uh, you know he he has but integrity about the mission that he was that that he uh, and uh, his team were on um, so they they were able to somehow see beyond the the technology and although they had no real business experience um, for me, that was that was really interesting because another factor in our decision making is can we really add any value aside from writing a check? There are lots of people who can write a check, and I could see that there were there were areas that we could add some value. So for me, I think that's uh, that's how the decision was made, pretty much at high level. Excellent, Robin, and that actually takes us to an interesting concept of pivot, and we'll get back to you in a moment to ask some insights into how you helped Hal think about an interesting pivot and change that 
that you took your company through. And that mm. was initially starting with a focus on B2C, but understanding now that there's been a bit of a shift or an evolution to think about a B2B model as well. So can you tell us a little bit more about that changing business model and um, yeah. well, you know, what took you there? So um, we fundraised back in uh, mid-2015. And we decided we would go, we would try B2C. And I think everyone who invested and ourselves were very aware that we didn't know if that would work. And we we hesitated quite a long time before choosing which avenue to pursue first. Um, and so we decided to try and build a consumer brand off the back of the technology we had because we could offer a lot of SKUs, we could offer customization in a way that, that other brands couldn't. Um, and we thought, okay, this is a very compelling product and we are getting interest from people wanting to buy it, so let's try and pursue that. So we launched our own e-commerce website, we, we opened a store, um, we, built, we built a brand and did marketing around that, and, and we saw pretty good sales over the winter of 2015. But really, we could see that all of our effort and all of our skills and IP and everything we were doing was being spent on building te technology. We were building, we were doing physics engines, you know, we've, we've got people with PhDs who work for us building that stuff. And it didn't make sense that the output of that was a niche consumer fashion brand. And we could really see that the effort we were putting was not really relating to what we were trying to sell. Mm. Um, and so we realized that even though we were growing relatively well as a fashion brand, if we if we hadn't had a huge technology arm, it would have, would have probably worked as a business. But... Um, we needed to really focus on selling what we were building, which was technology. And it, it became apparent pretty rapidly that it was going to make much more sense to try and sell this to large brands. Excellent. And also it was what would give us the opportunity to achieve scale more quickly. So with a disruption that you're trying to push through a supply chain, the more volume you can give to that supply chain, the more willing they are to change. And we were not generating the volume as a young, as a young brand to encourage factories to, to take on board our technology and start using it. And we realized that we only needed to sign one brand to have 50 times the volume that we could generate. And then we could rapidly convince the supply chain to, to adopt what we were offering. That's fascinating. And I think, Robin, it goes back to your point a moment ago of anyone can write a check. And yet you saw an interesting opportunity in Hal and in his company and in his concept to not only write a check and help invest, but also provide guidance. And so I'm curious about this specific pivot, this evolution that Hal just went through. Were you involved in that process in some way in terms of providing some assistance and mentoring to Hal and his team? Yeah, I think, I, look, I think the investors uh, as a group discussed the whole question of B2, B2C, building a consumer brand, etc. And we will discuss it together um, in, in, in board meetings, etc. And, and people had different views. I mean, we have a fundamental belief at, at Local Globe, and that is and this might seem obvious, but the company that we invest in belongs to the founders and we are part of the support team. It is not our business. So at the end of the day, Hal and his team had to make the decisions. All we can do is uh, give them some of our experience and what we'd seen elsewhere. I was definitely on the B2B, in the B2B camp in this discussion uh, because I, I guess I know that building a, a retail brand is a very different business from the skills that we had. Now, it's not impossible for the business to acquire those skills. And who knows, over time, they, you know, unmade may become a great consumer brand. But our strong feeling was uh, that we should build the business on the strength of the, of the team. And, and that is undoubtedly in the technology and uh, in, the, in these B2B relationships, which, uh, you know, we're evolving the 
the expertise to uh, to exploit properly. Excellent. And so, Robin, what approach do you take when you think about engaging with startups and providing this kind of assistance? You know, what approach do you take to ensure that you're providing the right advice at the right time? Is there a science to that, or is that more perhaps of an art? Well, we we have developed uh, methodologies uh, for doing that, but I, I think it has to be customized in the same way as unmade products are customized and personalized. There's no one-size-fits-all. You come along with a formula. I mean, for me, that just doesn't work. And um, I guess what we like to think of uh, Local Globe as being is um, having a lot of empathy with founders because we have ourselves founded, built companies. We've been through the hell of doing so, and it's not it's not easy. And we understand that right from from the beginning. So I think that the advice and the help that we give, we tailor make, we respond. To situations, we obviously it's part of our duty to give the benefit of any experience we might have had before. Great, that makes a lot of sense. And of course, it's it's got to be super important to make sure that you get what you need from your investor. And so, how to to receive your your side of the story? You know, how do you go about finding the right investor? Again, keeping in mind that our listeners may be in the spot that you were in a few years ago. Great concept, great idea, but not really knowing where to start in terms of identifying that investor. So what advice would you give them? Um, yeah, it's a complicated process. I mean, uh, I'm, I'm no expert. I've only done this once, but um, I think we did a pretty good job of it. We, um, we went into a program called Techstars, which is an accelerator, and that's what kind of led us to meet a lot of investors initially. Um, so that was a great way of meeting tons of people that were potential investors in the business. Ultimately, I mean, Techstars won't actually help you. I mean, they don't raise a round for you. They're going to make a lot of good introductions for you, but you still have to put in the legwork of having lots of coffees, having lots of meetings, being able to speak about your business convincingly and coherently. Um, so, I mean, I suppose the the advice I would give is try and meet as many people as possible. I think you know, there's lots of different founders and lots of different investors and some investors are great for some founders and, and not for others mm. so I think it's really important to try and understand what you're looking for in an investor um, I would say that we were as people potentially it's quite scary initially because you know you own a, the whole of a business and when you do your first round you're giving bits of it away to people that that you don't necessarily know that well you might have met them four or five times so it, it can be quite quite worrying at first to do that and you hear plenty of horror stories of badly seas but um no i think we 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 were very lucky in in getting some really good people on board in our round and i think part of that was the fact that we were able to meet enough people that we could build some level of of competition so we weren't in a situation where we had to say okay we need the cash because obviously we, we did as a bit as a young business we were able to pick the investors that we really wanted mm-hmm and Robin, I can only imagine the number of startups that you've come across and, and heard perhaps pitched to you over the years. Uh, I'm curious, when you think about all of that experience and all of the pitching perhaps that, that you've heard, is there a set of guidance or best practices that you would tell our listeners, potential startup tech founders or, or product founders, um, understanding that they may be trying to raise funding? What guidance would you give them to show up and represent themselves the best to a potential investor? Well, I think before we get to uh, how you present yourself, um, I think you need to think about, uh, firstly, is venture capital the right, the right form of capital for you? Mm-hmm. And um, I think since this session is about venture capital, I'll assume you've got to that point. 
and you've decided venture capital is right for you. I think the next thing to really understand is that it does make a difference, short, medium, and long-term, who your investors are. It's not simply about the cash. And we do see investors, uh, sorry, founders, who uh, think this is all about the money, it's all about the, uh, the valuation. Once I've banked the check, you know, they can disappear. Now, it's not, it's not an exaggeration to say that the, that the choice of your funding partners are almost as important as your choice of your founding team because you're going to live with them for quite a long time and they're going to be quite influential in the key decisions that you're going to make. The great thing is that there's so much data available and that if you do your homework and do a little bit of due diligence, it's actually pretty simple to discover who's got a you know, good track record. How do VCs behave when things go wrong? Are they supportive or do they run for the hills? You know, those kind of things you can find out very easily. Most VCs have got their portfolio on their website. You just go to LinkedIn, you... you You'll figure out, you'll know some of the entrepreneurs they back. Try and find somebody who's failed, not one of the success stories, because they generally like their VCs. So the ones that have failed will, t will tell you, uh, you know, how the VC behaved. And, and the same applies the other way around, by the way. I mean, obviously, the due diligence we would do if somebody's done a startup before and, and failed, what we want to know is how did, they, how did they behave? So I think it's about building relationships. Now, we didn't have a long time, as I said, I think we had one meeting, but, um, you know, I guess, you know, perhaps because I've done, you know, 150 of these, you get an instinct and, and uh, there's a pattern recognition. But uh, I think, you know, taking your, your time to really ask the key questions before you take money from any investor is the best advice I can give. And I know it's hard advice to give because... Sometimes that check is there and you do need it badly. And I've been in that position as well. And sometimes you land up taking money from the wrong folks and uh, it doesn't always work out. Excellent. Very exciting. And Robin, when you think back over the decades that you've had of investing and listening to startups and hearing pitches, as well as making some good, some successful, maybe not some successful investment decisions, can you give us an idea of some of the biggest red flags or the red lights on the dashboard, as they say, that you've seen in your time hearing from startups? Okay, um, some of these will be sort of green green flags. In other words, don't do the opposite. So the 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 thing I'd say, a uh, golden rule is be yourself. In other words, don't try and construct, uh, don't over-rehearse your pitch. People spend hours and hours on their decks and rehearsing and so on. Personally, I don't get a good feel of who the individual is if, that's, if it is so well rehearsed. So a red flag is, you know, don't, don't over-rehearse. I suppose another one, uh, for me would be don't uh, don't talk about the exit um, you know understand your understand your VC um, if, if you want to build a meaningful large business the exit is the last thing you should be thinking about the things you should be thinking about are your customers and your products and I that's what I want to hear I want to hear people talk about who their customer is and what their why their product is wonderful i'm going to somehow change change the world 
And so a slide which says, and we will exit in three to five years, and these are the potential buyers, tells me that people are thinking pretty short term. And so that's for me is, is a no-no. I think the other thing that I sometimes see, um, which is a no-no, is when there's a team of, say, three people, and the CEO or the senior founder uh, does all the talking and perhaps talks over over the others. I mean, what I, what we like to see is the team dynamics, and so um, yeah, just make sure that uh, you know everybody gets a chance to talk. I think that's that's really great guidance. And before we wrap up, Hal, I'd, I'd like to end with you, and that is to maybe not even just focus on the on the venture side, on the venture capital side, but um, looking back at your less experienced self. And if you were able to look at that self and say, wow, if I had only known these couple of things, I would have moved quicker or not made this mistake. What would that advice be for these soon-to-be uh, startup founders that are listening to your, uh, to your advice today? Um, I think a big thing, and, and again, this will vary from person to person, but Coming from a consultancy tech background, I actually had very little experience of managing anyone. And and so did my two co-founders, Ben and Kirsty. So none of us had really managed people properly before. You know, we'd had maybe 15 freelancers working for us, but it's very, very different from full-time employees. Um, and so that was something that was a really steep learning curve for us. And I wish that I'd known that straight away because I probably would have addressed it immediately. So we eventually got management coaching and, and we had to work really hard to, to kind of make sure we could do all that stuff properly mm-hmm. and we but we only realized that once we had about 15 employees and we were like wait a minute how does this thing actually how do other people do this right. so i think that that would be a massive piece of advice i'd give is you'll probably end up if you're successful growing a team really quickly and being aware that that is a full set of skills that is as challenging as tech or or, or any other skill set is management and that if you don't have that i would make sure that you you work on that from the start thank you gentlemen both so much for the great advice and insight and uh, we'll look forward to talking to you again very soon. It's been Thanks. a pleasure. Thank you. Next week on AWS Startup Stories, we'll be talking to Ann Bowden, CEO of Starling Bank, about building a challenger bank from scratch and dealing with regulation and compliance authorities. Tune in next time. If you enjoyed this episode, check out the AWS Startup Stories webpage in the show notes for the podcast, along with a useful cheat sheet. And look out for other Startup Story podcasts coming your way soon. To find out about AWS and how we can help you grow, build, and transform your business, join thousands of innovative leaders at the AWS Summit on June 28th.